Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. What's good, Raider Nation? Hey, I uh, just want to let you know if you're in the Las Vegas area, uh, go check out the library. Um, uh, they cover uh, and carry, I should say, um, Silver and Black uh, and Leela's Passion and Bajador Tequila. Uh, let them know that Vinny B from uh, In the Huddle uh, sent you, and you can get half off of the cover charge uh, over there. So um, uh, the library in Las Vegas mentioned Vinny B uh, in the huddle and get half off the cover charge uh, for the library. Things are starting to open up. People are getting ready, you know, getting ready to have some fun uh, and, and be out and about, thankfully. Uh, so uh, we're going to hook you up as much as we can. Uh, Embajador Tequila is all over Las Vegas and uh, elsewhere. Uh, and uh, we're going to have some hookups for you. Uh, the more things open up, the more uh, information that we're going to have. Uh, we're going to go back out to the Raider Nation listener line. James is back. He had another uh, a question. How you doing, James? Hey, Vincent. Real quick, I want to give you my uh, free agent signings. Um, I'd like to bring in Malik Hooker, maybe 3 to $5 million on a one-year, um, and then maybe draft uh, Richie Grant as a backup for him because I know uh, Malik is injury-prone. Then also Kenny Vaccaro, like to bring him in, uh, maybe four to five million, and have him be a backup for uh, Abram, and then probably cut Heath possibly, because I know Kenny can play free safety as well, so he's pretty versatile. And then in the slot, like to bring in McKenzie Alexander, maybe like three to four million, and then as well as Casey Hayward, I'm thinking anywhere from six to eight million. Because um, I'm, I'm extremely concerned about Arnett. I don't think he's ready yet. Um, and, and I think he'd be a good veteran to uh, – Casey would be a good veteran for Arnett to, to study behind. Um, and then, if possible, bring in K.J. Wright as well, and maybe 4 to $5 million. And then uh, a backup tackle like a Rick Wagner possibly. And then also bring in um, Tevin, Tevin in, in the first round. And uh, I like to draft a um, Richie in the second round, the third round, uh, left guard, uh, and then the, the second third round pick we have to grab a linebacker. And then also, here's another thing I've heard many people talk about: in the fourth round, I like to pick up a, a a receiver that can that can be more of a kick return guy because I really don't. I, I like what uh, Renfro does. I think he's very effective in the kick return game, but he's so effective as a starter for us. I hate to see him get hurt. So I think that'd be valuable as well. And then maybe pick up um, another running back in the fifth round. So what's your thoughts? I know that was a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, no I, I don't. I, I think money, um, I think you're overspending a little bit. Uh, I don't think it's going to take that kind of money to sign uh, all, those, all, all, all those players. Uh, the market is definitely a buyer's market so um uh you know the the three hundred three millions and four millions um you know that that you're throwing around i don't think it's going to necessarily um cost that much to get some of those guys um you know i I think that you know a veteran cornerback uh is definitely uh something that that they're that they have an eye on without question um you know I, i they're they're Damon Arnett is an interesting case for me because um, they want to get him on the field. They want him to play. That was the issue last year. He wasn't able to stay on the field, um, you know. And and 
it started at the tail end of training camp, and up until that point, he was playing really good. I mean, he was a standout in training camp. I don't say that lightly. Uh, he was one of the players that just literally jumped out at you, and then all of a sudden, you know, he shows up with a big bandage on his right on his right hand, and uh, and that just really set him back the whole year. He tried to play through it. I give that kid a lot of credit, and so should Raider Nation. He tried to play through a very very painful uh, wrist injury. There were so many times uh, over those first th- couple of games of the season uh, where he was visibly hurt uh, and that he was trying to gut it out. And um, and it all kind of came to a head in that game uh, three against the New England Patriots where uh, it just got to be too much and he wasn't able to play anymore. And he had to go undergo surgery and that cost him six, seven weeks. And it was super, it, the whole thing was detrimental to him. So and it really set him back. It set him back physically. Um, you know, obviously he wasn't able to get the reps that you wanted him to get. Uh, and then he came back, and he didn't look like the same player. He just didn't look as physically stout. Uh, we've talked about that. Um, you know, not the inability during his rehab, coming off of a, a, a wrist surgery to get into the uh, weight room and, and, and work out. It just it it just never took off for Damon Arnett last year, but. Mm-hmm. I know that he's working right now, and mm-hmm. uh, by all accounts, he's good to go with the right hand, and um, so that's not going to be prohibitive to him. Uh, I think that the Raiders want to get him back on the field as quickly as possible, and for as long as possible. I think that's the key. You, it's you, you, you invest a first round pick in a guy. Uh, you got to get him out there, uh, and you got to let him play. And you know, he decisively beat out. Um, Prince Amukamara, if you remember, in training camp, he was he he just took that job, and, and there was no question who the starter was going to be. Unfortunately, injuries reared their ugly heads. So, um, you know, as far as that veteran cornerback to come in there, and it, it's going to be more in conjunction, I would think, anyway, with Damon Arnett rather than in lieu of. And and I say that because you have to get him on the field, and he's got talent, and he showed that in training camp. Um, now you just need to keep him healthy and keep him out there as much as possible to expedite that that um, you know that uh, uh, the development process. Now you know do you do you, do you sign somebody that's going to be able to to be an insurance f- for him? Absolutely, I think I think it's incumbent that you do. I also think that you know what do you do at slot safety? You know, Lamarcus Joyner is gone. I know he didn't play at a high level, but he was the best that they had. Uh, you know, that's just the fact of the matter. Um, is 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 Amik Robertson ready to 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 hold down the fort at that position? They drafted him to be that guy. Um, last year got away from Amik as well. Uh, there were a lot of extenuating circumstances as far as that goes, making the switch from outside corner to slot corner. Mike Mayak has talked about that and about how the challenge that he faced in a year where there was no offseason to make a position switch like that. A um, little bit too big of a bite at the apple. Um, but if everything is and everything is pointing toward things are getting back to, to normal, um, you know we could be sitting on a regular off season. Hopefully, everyone gets their vaccines, everything starts moving in the right direction, and all of a sudden now the off season that didn't happen last year can get back on track this year, and that's going to just help incredibly. Guys like Amik Robertson, guys like Damon Arnett. You know, guys like Tanner Muse. These guys are like the forgotten guys, uh, and everyone's just saying it was a waste of a draft. It wasn't a waste of a draft. 
Um, it wasn't, and there's still plenty of hope. It just they needed to get back on track in terms of the developmental uh, process. Uh, some guys handled it better. Um, you know what happened last year and the topsy turviness of it, and, and you know the, the lack of practices, uh, COVID nineteen, meaning that you couldn't be meeting with your position group uh, as a whole or as a defense. Everything was just so uh, messed up last year. Um, that it wasn't really conducive to being able to count on a whole bunch of rookies. And really, that's what the Raiders were. They were counting on Henry Ruggs. They were counting on Brian Edwards. They were counting on David Arnett um, you know, to, to, to make their marks early on. They were counting on second-year players um, you know, that, that had gotten into the building last year uh, to, to make big steps forward. You know, and and there there were a lot of reasons why that got cur- curtailed, and hopefully that's not the case this year. Because if it's not, I think you're going to see some of these players take big step forwards. Um, but I, I like what you're talking about. You know, I like some of the names that you're bringing up. Uh, Casey Hayward, I think, would be a big help here, depending on what the the role is uh, that that he would uh, you know be asked to do. Um, but you know, we'll see. Uh, we'll we'll see. There's you know. I don't think that I think the Raiders can make the moves that they want to be able to make, but um, you know, I think yeah, there are a lot of players that you mentioned. They're not going to get all those guys, and I don't think there's a really, you know, necessarily a a need to go get all of those guys. Um, But you know, I I I I like where you're headed, uh, and I really appreciate the call. Thank you very much. Um, You know, but but I think more than anything, the Raiders are doing some bargain hunting right now. Um, You know. Jaron Reed might be uh, out on the open market or available. And by the way, I'm looking at, as we're, I'm talking, I'm looking at tape of uh, Micah Parsons uh, from from Penn State. And uh, I know that he blew up, um, you know, with the individual workouts uh, today and uh, or was it today or yesterday? Anyway, he's been in the news uh, with, with what he showed um, in, at his pro day. And this dude is a freak athlete. There's no question about it. Uh, there are some off-field issues. There are some... You know concerns about him, uh, which could mean that he that he that he drops down to to that seventeen area where the Raiders are. Uh, I know they need a right tackle. I know they need a free safety. But man, this guy looks like uh, a, a difference maker. So uh, keep an eye on Michael Parsons. Um, he looks <laughs> like the real deal in a lot of different ways. Uh, but you know this is it's it's a good draft. It's a pretty um, it's a deep draft at some positions uh, of need. Um, you know, that free safety position and that right tackle position really jump out at you. But I'm really intrigued by Jaron Reed, I have to say. Uh, I don't know what it would cost to go get that, go, to go get him. Um, you know, hey, maybe you tell the, the, the Seattle Seahawks, look, we'll, we'll trade you back the third round pick uh, that we got uh, that we that, that we got for uh, Gabe Jackson. We'll just we'll just go ahead and uh, send that right back to you. Uh, give us uh, Jaron Reed. Would you like Jaron Reed? Uh, on the Raiders, a guy that um, you know over the course of his career has shown that he can get to the quarterback uh, in a in a big way from from inside. I mean, a guy like that, um, you know, the, the the type of impact that he can make uh, as far as you know rushing the passer, being a, a solid run stopper. And I'm, I'm looking at the stats right now. It's a guy who had uh, he was limited to ten games in 2019. That's why he only had the two the two sacks. Uh, but in in uh, 2018 and 2020, playing um, you know uh, bo- each season, playing all the games, every game, 10.5 sacks in 2018, 6.5 sacks uh, last year, 38 tackles last year, 50 tackles 
uh, in in 2018. This dude can play. Uh, there's there's no question about it. And and a guy like that, as as Evan Grote was talking about, that difference maker, a guy that can come in and make a difference, uh, you know, on on your defensive line at that position inside. If I'm the Raiders, I'm all over that. I gotta be, um, you know. And and if it means having to get rid of some guys, you know, uh, Maurice Hurst, guys like that. I, I'm just, you know, I'm throwing names out there, just just throwing names out there. Um, but if you could get a guy like Jaron Hurst, it changes your defensive line even better. I know that they've 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 brought in a lot of different bodies um, uh, to do a lot of different things. Uh, whether it's you know, Yannick Ngakwe or the defensive ends or the defensive tackles that they've brought in. But this is a guy that you have to – this makes you take notice. If the Seattle Seahawks are serious about either releasing or trading Jaron Reed, I'm on the phone <laughs> with the Seattle Seahawks to find out uh, what, it, what it might take. And um, it looks like that situation is coming to a head. Uh, but – you know, we'll 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 see. Those are the guys that, when you're talking about, you know, caller earlier said, "Hey, we got to stop." Um, you know, as Raider Nation uh, and and the Raiders, we got to stop thinking about just building through the draft. And uh, and 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 I'm with them. You know, I think it's time that I think it's I think where the Raiders are right now, uh, it's not a bad idea. And the Raiders have shown a willingness over their entire history. That hey, if a player, we'll 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 trade uh, an asset to go get a Mike Haynes at cornerback, you know, uh, to to go get players that can fit in right now and make an impact uh, right now. So there's never been a hesitancy from this organization uh, to utilize a draft pick or draft assets to go get a veteran that's going to help like right now. So a guy like Jaron Reed, if he truly is available, I would imagine the Raiders would be interested. Why wouldn't you be? That's a that's you want to change your defensive line. You want to improve the defensive line. You want to turn uh, unacceptable into acceptable. Those are the type of guys you know that 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 you need to be looking at. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if that's a, a for real situation uh, in Seattle, and if the Raiders decide uh, to get um, interested. There's ways that they can work the salary cap to make something like that work without question. You're in the huddle, Vinny Bonson. You're brought to you by Tequila and Bajador. No one gets you closer to the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor and Lincoln Kennedy. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. It is a Thursday. You're in the huddle. Vinny Bonsignor brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Um... Lots to talk about. Uh, I was just doing some math, um, looking at this the potential of a Jaron Reed um, coming to uh, coming to the Raiders uh, type situation. Um, you know, whether it's a trade or, or free agency, uh, there's definitely ways the Raiders can, um, can could, could bring him into the fold. Now, it sounds like the stumbling block in Seattle is, is that he wants uh, an, an extension uh, to the contract and. Um, it sounds like you know the, the the Seahawks were like, well, you know, uh, we'd like to restructure the deal and convert some some of this uh, eight million dollars or so that he's making this year uh, into a signing bonus and blah blah blah. And we're and the, and the player was like, no, 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 no. If we're going to do that, I want new money and uh, added years and real money and guaranteed money. Um, so 
it sounds like that's come to a head, and and now uh, the agent is is telling folks out on the national media that he's his his clients either going to get traded or released. Um, and if I'm the Raiders, I make the call because Jaron Reed, um, you know, is, is somebody that if you want to redo this defensive line, if you want to uh, uh, get dominant up front or get effective uh, up front. Um, it takes, you know, good, obviously, good players to, to do that. That's no, um, you know, I'm not, that's not a shocking statement or anything like that, but it takes high caliber players. Um, and if you can, if you can make a trade for him, you'll be able to work it out with the salary cap. That's, that shouldn't be uh, a, a, a hindrance to something like this. Um, you know, and, and think of it along these terms too. You know, when the, when the Raiders uh, cut, or traded, you know, guys like Rodney Hudson and Gabe Jackson, and restructured the contract of Marcus Mariota. Don't just think of it in terms of, um, you know, salary cap. You're also talking about reducing your cash expenditures, the real money that actually gets spent. Um, and so the Raiders are in a pretty decent position at this point. If they need to add on uh, an additional lump sum of cash, they're in a much better shape. Much better shape because. Of the cash that they're not spending on Lamarcus Joner, the cash, the cash that they're not spending on Trent Brown, that was fourteen million dollars right there. The cash that they're not making, that they're not spending, um, you know, on on uh, on Gabe Jackson and, and Rodney Hudson, and the the uh, cash that they're not spending, uh, or as much cash as they were going to spend on Marcus Mariota. Same with you know um, uh, Carl Nassib. It's not just how it is represented under your salary cap. It's also the actual dollars that the owner doesn't have to spend uh, right now that you could utilize in other areas. So they're in a fairly decent position, I would imagine. Now, you have to you know, be honest about the situation and be um, understanding about the situation. Uh, you know, The Raiders, like a lot of teams, like every team in the NFL, uh, took a big hit last year. When you're not allowed to have fans in the stadium and you're taking that season ticket money that you had already basically pocketed uh, you know for 2021 or 2020 and have to either refund it to um, you know to the fans uh, rightfully so obviously uh, there were no games that they were allowed to go to last year or push it forward so that it pays for their tickets for 2021 that's a hit on top of the parking and the and the concessions and you know the 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 advertising that that happens on in your your, your game day situation, just all the stuff that you weren't you didn't have access to, uh, you know you have to be reasonable about it as fans and understand like hey, these owners took a b- pretty big hit, you know, and uh, and 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 so the Raiders are no different than anybody else. Um, so you have to you have to keep that in mind when you're talking about the cash uh, expenditures. Uh, of, of of any team uh, in the NFL, and uh, I'll say this: you know, moving forward, when that building opens, Allegiant Stadium, and when I say opens, I mean opens to the fans, uh, and and this thing starts starts rolling uh, the way it was intended to be rolling, the Raiders are going to be absolutely fine, like in tremendous shape, probably top five in the NFL as far as a revenue generating team. Think about that. Um, you think about that for a second and what that means. It's not money that Mark Davis, the owner, is planning on putting into his pocket. He doesn't roll that way. And I say that honestly. I've talked to Mark Davis about this, the Raiders owner, and he looked me in the eye. I could go back to 2015, maybe even 2014, 
sitting on a field in the middle of a field in Oxnard, California, <laughs> where the Dallas Cowboys were, were uh, ha- you know, have their training camp. Ironically enough, where the Raiders used to have their training camp way back in the day in the 1980s, uh, they practiced in that same exact facility um, over in, in Oxnard. And I remember talking to him about the potential of the Raiders moving you know, to Los Angeles. And I was like, you know, just me being the reporter that I was, I was like, man, you know, that, that you know, you, you get to Los Angeles. And, and, and one thing that he said was like, look, you know, he's explaining to me the situation in Oakland. You know, we're like 30th, 31st in the league in terms of re- revenue generating teams. Um, and the difference between one and 30, it's not like just a couple of million dollars. It's a lot of millions of dollars, like to the point where, in order to be able to, to 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 really compete financially with you know the colleagues around the NFL, it was a challenge when you're not tapping into the revenues that you know uh, all these other teams are able to tap into when it comes to these new stadiums that were being built. It's a big deal. It's not you know for nothing. Um, and and so you know obviously he needed to either figure something out in Oakland or you know move the team to Los Angeles. Uh, he, he basically needed a stadium. He needed a, a state-of-the-art stadium like all these other teams had in the NFL to be able to um, really compete financially uh, with his colleagues around the NFL. And that was what the whole thing was all about. And I just remember just kind of in passing, like a reporter, just saying to a man, you know, you move to Los Angeles. That If it were to work out that way, let's just say, uh, you know, the, the value of your franchise just takes a huge leap up, you know, and uh, and he and he said to me, he's like, you know, I, I he goes, you you could call me crazy, um, if you want, you know, you could call me a liar if you want, but it, none of that matters to me. He goes, it doesn't, it's not going to change my life one bit. Like I'm going to live my life the way I live my life. It's not about fattening my wallet or my bank account or how much the team is going to be worth, you know, if we move uh, to a to a to a new city and, and get a new stadium. I just want to compete for the Super Bowl. I just want to be able to put money back into the product. I want to be able to put money into the team and facilities and, and to put us ourselves, and ourselves being the Raiders, obviously, uh, in a position to be able to really compete with everybody else on an p- even playing field uh, so that my team can start, you know, legit run it, making runs at, at Super Bowls. And um, I'll tell you what, he, he said that. I remember him telling me that, and I was like, I believe him, man. I full on. I, I I believe him. I believe that that's the reason that he, the main reason, really the only reason that he wants to be able to get a new stadium built that allows him and his organization to be able to compete. You know, for with everybody else on an even playing field financially. Well, I'll tell you what. What are we five six years later, uh, and here we sit in Las Vegas of all places. Um, and and it's been a tremendous move here. Uh, I have to say, uh, oddly, weirdly, um, shockingly, if you would ask me, five years ago, uh, that I'd be here in Las Vegas covering the Raiders for the Las Vegas Review Journal. I mean, I'd be like, what? what First of all, Las Vegas, the NFL. Are you kidding me? Uh, but here we are, and I love it. Uh, I'm loving every second of it. And I look at the Raiders organization, and it's just, just, just starting here in Las Vegas. It's literally just starting, and we haven't even seen here in Las Vegas what it really looks like on a game day Sunday uh, with you know uh, fans milling about, having fun outside the stadium. The strip just lit up 
like no other on a, on a game day Sunday. Are you kidding me? We haven't seen that part of it yet, unfortunately. Thank you, COVID-19. Um, but we will pretty soon. And if you're from the Raiders' perspective, uh, that just puts them in a position where that whole you know money, financial, cash, all of that, um, not that it's been an issue like some uh, have claimed it, it'll be, but it's going to be like a strength here in a little bit uh, when that building opens up and it's 65,000 strong week in and week out, year in and year out. This team, this franchise is on the verge of being one of the top five revenue teams in the NFL once everything gets rolling the way everyone intended it uh, to be rolling. So I know, you know, from the Raiders' perspective, uh, that's going to be a big deal. But um, and, and, and so that's never going to be an issue, uh, um, uh, you know, as far as building, building the team. Uh, and I, just from my own personal uh, perspective, having, you know, seen great venues and great atmospheres and nothing against Oakland. It was a, they're definitely a unique a a atmosphere up there. And I loved going up there. I truly, truly loved going up to the Bay Area uh, to, to go check out the Raiders uh, up at, up, you know, even though it was a terrible stadium, let's all admit it, it was a terrible stadium. Uh, it was outdated, um, and I, I could say the same thing about working in Los Angeles and the Coliseum. I love the Coliseum. Those are two different venues, though. The Coliseum in L.A. just is a magical, magical, magical place. When it's full, and I uh, saw many, uh, you know, USC-UCLA, USC-Oregon, USC-Notre Dame games on a Saturday night uh, late in the season, and that place just came alive. Um, that that Coliseum was different than the Coliseum in Oakland. Nothing against the Oakland Coliseum or anything like that. But you know, I, I just look forward to the day where Allegiant Stadium becomes just a one of the crazy, tremendous atmospheres uh, that there are in the NFL. And I fully expect that to be the case. I really do. I used to sit there last year, uh, sitting there in Allegiant Stadium. There were a couple of times where. The Kansas City Chiefs game. All right, the Raiders have the lead. The, the you know Derek Carr, uh, you know, takes the takes the team down the field. Uh, they score to go ahead, uh, but there's still a minute 43 left in the game um, against the defending Super Bowl champions. The Raiders are on the verge of beating the Chiefs for the second time, sweeping the the uh, uh, you know the season series against the uh, Chiefs. And by the way. Raiders were the only team to beat them at full strength this year. I'm just saying. Uh, when you talk about, and, and they should have beaten them twice. So when you talk about how far the Raiders might be off, just remember that, all right? And, 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 uh, and, and we'll, we may talk about that again next year. Uh, uh, wherever the Raiders are, I think they're going to be a better team next year. Um, we'll, we'll, let's just remember that. But anyway, I remember sitting there, um, minute 43 left in the game against the Kansas City Chiefs. They've got the lead. And I'm just sitting there looking around at an empty, quiet stadium where you can hear the players on the field. You can. It was just really, really quiet. And I just remember thinking, man, what would this place look like right now and sound like right now and be like right now if the fans were in the stadium? You don't think that that would have made a big difference? I know Patrick Mahomes can handle any situation. I'm not doubting that whatsoever. And I know that the Raiders' defense last year was challenged, uh, to say the least. But you don't think that 
in that game, the fans at Allegiant Stadium would have made a big difference at that point in the game. You don't think that. With 19 seconds left in the game against the Miami Dolphins, no timeouts for the Dolphins, stuck at their, what, their 25-yard line to start a drive with no timeouts, 19 seconds left, losing the game. You don't think that six in a in a game that the Raiders had to win and needed to to potentially you know uh, save or save their playoff hopes. You don't think that Raider fans would have understood the situation, known the situation, uh, and and made themselves part of that scene right there? Are you kidding me? How about against the Chargers? Uh, you know Thursday night football. The Raiders take the lead with Marcus Mariota having to come off the bench, played brilliantly. Um, you know, puts the Raiders in a position to win the game in overtime against the Chargers. And, you know, the Raiders kick a field goal. Uh, should have been a touchdown. We get it. Um, but they kick a field goal. They take, a, take the lead in, in overtime. You don't think with 65,000 crazy Raider fans in Allegiant Stadium, in an enclosed stadium where the sound is just going to be deafening at times, you could tell the sound is going to be crazy in there when it's full. It, it all right, the acoustics even when they were just playing music, was pretty good. Uh, imagine what it's going to be like when there's fans uh, in there. You don't think that they would have made a difference against the Chargers? So I'm just saying that we haven't even seen that part of it yet, and it's going to be something special. It's going to be something spectacular. No disrespect to Oakland. No disrespect to the other Coliseum that the Raiders used to play at in Los Angeles. But I'm telling you right now, I'm just telling you right now, it's going to be a whole different animal at Allegiant Stadium when that place is full and there's a big moment and there's a big game. I can just tell you that right now that it's going to be uh, a huge, huge, huge different maker. I'm going off on a tangent here, but I'm getting fired up just thinking about it. And, uh, you know, even me as a writer, it, it, you, you're hearing the noise uh, and, and, and I love it. Even with what I'm, I'm having to focus on the game, focus on what are my stories going to be, what's my lead going to be. Um, you know, uh, deadlines coming up. If it's a night game, this game is hanging in the balance. I got two different stories: one if they win, one if they lose. You're thinking along the what's what's the story going to be if they lose? Well, if they lose, uh, man, now their playoff chances go down to this, this, and this. Or if they win, all of a sudden they're here. It's two different worlds. If they win or lose, and I got crazy fans that are screaming and yelling and I'm trying to focus but you know what I love it and I don't think there's any writer out there that wouldn't say the same thing we love those moments and we missed those moments and here in Las Vegas um, it just sucked that it wasn't the case because everyone was was anticipating that to be the case well let's just keep our fingers crossed I got my vaccine yesterday Still feel a little bit of the effects. I'm not going to lie to you. A little bit fatigued, but I'll, it's all good. Uh, I'm really happy right now. And uh, I'm urging everybody else to do the same when they get the opportunity. Let's all get through this because I cannot wait uh, to next year um, with Allegiant Stadium being full bore and ready to rock and roll. Uh, it's going to be a great atmosphere here in Las Vegas. There's no question about it. You're in the huddle with Vinny Monsignor brought to you by Tequila and Bajonar. You're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Now back to your hosts, Vinny Bonsignor and Lincoln Kennedy.
What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Uh, you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. By the way, I wanted to say uh, to all the listeners and all the readers, you know, I cover the Raiders for the uh, Las Vegas Review Journal. That's, um, you know, my, my day job. Uh, we'll put it that, that way. But between uh, the numbers at the RJ, and you can always read our stuff, VegasNation.com, uh, or download the app, uh, Vegas Nation. Between the numbers... Um, that that uh, that that Raider stories get, um, you know that that you guys are, and it's you guys, man. It's it's totally you guys clicking on and reading the stories, and I appreciate you like you like you don't even know. Um, I really really appreciate it. You're why I, I know you know you know we don't always see the eye to eye and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, you know, and we're gonna argue, and it's all love on my end. Um, you know, there's some people that kind of take it a little bit too far. Uh, but that's all good. They choose to uh, to uh, that's how they choose to be. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just whatever. Um, but anyway, uh, the numbers have been incredible uh, for the Review Journal. I really, really appreciate that. The numbers uh, for um, you know Raider Nation Radio uh, and and the show in the huddle have been great. The podcast numbers um, are are really, really strong. Uh, I just want to say thank you, and that uh, and I mean that. You know. Um, uh, I try to try to do the best that I can for you guys. Um, and first and foremost, um, I'm going to try to give you as accurate account as I possibly can on the team that you guys love reading about and listening about. Um, and, and, and that's, that's my vow to you. Um, I would love to get every story first. Um, it doesn't work that way, especially this time of year. Uh, most of what you see in terms of the first report is always going to be through the player's agent. That's why you always see the top numbers and the best numbers. And sometimes fans are scratching their head like, Kenyon Drake got what? Well, you have to understand uh, that <clears throat> the agents usually go right to, um, you know, instead of instead of texting 32 different, instead of having the text, you know, the, the beat writer for every team, uh, and that's 32 beat writers or and many more because there's multiple beat writers on multiple publications. A lot of times what agents will do, they expedite the whole process by going to, you know, Ian Rappaport or, um, you know, uh, Adam Schefter uh, and just one quick text, hey, uh, you know, so-and-so signed with so-and-so for, you know, five years, whatever, whatever, whatever. And then Adam Schefter tweets it out um, and it's all good. And I get it and I understand it. That's just how it works. And I don't take it personal, um, and it's not really about that. You know, I'll, I, I break enough stories. Vic Tafer from the, um, the Athletic breaks enough stories. Those we are we all understand that it's typically uh, it's going to be that's how that story is going to break. But um, you know, and I try to tell uh, you know readers and fans this. Uh, you know, whether I'm always going to confirm that regardless um, with my own sources. And and that's how that works. So uh, you know, and I will confirm it, and then I'll put it out there, um, you know, for my readers, so that they get the accurate, as accurate account. And I go back to the Rodney Hudson uh, and Gabe Jackson situations. Um, you know, the initial reports for both of those players when they were going to get released, and uh, just like I would if I saw, you know, uh, Adam or, or or Ian, you know, put put out there that so and so is signing with the Raiders. The first thing I do is I check in with my sources um, and, uh, hey, is this accurate? Blah, blah, blah. You know how that, you, you know, it doesn't take a scientist to figure out how that works. Uh, yeah, or no, or whatever the case might be. And then that's when I, hey, I can confirm such and such, you know, signing. Uh, but the reason that I do that rather than just, 
you know, um, retweet somebody, basically, uh, if that's how I come across it for the first time, is because not all that information is correct. Um, and, and, and like I said, you're, that information right there, 99% of the time, is coming from the player's agent. So you're getting the player's perspective. Oh, the Raiders are going to release Gabe. Oh, the Raiders are going to release, you know, Rodney Hudson. Um, well, yeah, they're prepared to release both of those players if certain things don't happen, like a trade or a restructure um, or, you know, whatever the case might be. So I'm just saying that I, I didn't, I, I tried to explain, hey, 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 hold on. They're not just releasing him. <laughs> He's still on the roster. They're still on the roster. There's other options available. Just keep that in mind. That's why I, confirmed things through my own sources um, before retweeting something or passing along something uh, that that I don't know to be completely true um, right off the bat. So uh, it's not about being first. It's about being accurate. And that's why I tried to shed some light and some nuance and, and some perspective um, you know, on the uh, on the on those those two situations. And and it happens plenty of times before. But you know, because again, those national reporters, and I love all of those guys. They, I have tremendous amount of respect for all of those guys. Um, but a lot of times, most of the time, it comes from the agent, and that's not always the clearest picture or the full picture of what's going on. So that's why I always had to do what I have to do. But the long and short of it is, um, you know, that's my vow to you: is that you're always going to get as accurate of information as possible. That's that's my pledge and my promise. And I really appreciate uh, all the followers, all the readers, all the listeners. Um, it's amazing to me how strong and passionate Raider Nation uh, really is. And it kind of reminds me of when I covered uh, the Lakers, you know, and, and the passion and interest um, that, that, that existed for the Raiders, or excuse me, for the, for the Lakers. Um, I see the same thing, you know, with the Raiders. There aren't that many... Organizations or franchises that have that kind of clout. Uh, there's a lot of great franchises out there. Um, there really are, but there's only a few that rise to a uh, a whole other level. And I can feel that, you know, covering the Raiders now for you know a year and change that I have. I could I could feel the difference. It reminds me again of covering, uh, you know, uh, writing about the Lakers the way I did uh, for so long working in Los Angeles. Um, it's just there's a different level of, of passion, and that's no disrespect to anybody else that I that I've covered. I know, you know, covering the Rams, that's coming along. It's they're they're making their mark uh, in, in in Los Angeles. It's hard. I tried, you know, people were wondering, well, why didn't it take off like immediately? They knew that it wasn't. They, the Rams understood. The mistake that the pre previous regimes and Georgia Frontieri, who owned the Rams and moved them to St. Louis from Los Angeles, uh, really Orange County at that point, but Los Angeles, they were the Los Angeles Rams. The mistake that was made and the uh, and what was lost, um, you don't leave Los Angeles for 20 some odd years and then come back and say, hey, we're back, uh, we're going to be on the same level again along with the Lakers and the Dodgers, because that's where they were when they when they left. Los Angeles was like, mm, we've grown up. We two generations uh, have you know have, have have come and gone and grown up and everything like that. You, you know, you can't just walk here back here 
and B, you know, the, this the, this iconic franchise. The, the, the Rams are getting there, but the Raiders are there, and I can feel it. And th- I want to thank you guys uh, for being a part of it. I really, truly uh, thank you guys. Uh, thank you to uh, Evan Grote for joining us in the huddle. Damon Cotton, thanks for uh, doing what you do. Thanks for kind of propping me up, feeling the effects a little bit of the vaccine, but it's all good. Hopefully we'll be even better tomorrow. Uh, we'll be back at it tomorrow. Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM in the huddle, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. See you tomorrow at 4 o'clock to 6 o'clock.